Good evening, everyone. So glad to have you here in the house. Those of you who are joining us online, we are thrilled to have you here at Element City Church. And so thanks for being a part of our experience in our night tonight. We are uh, glad to have you here. In fact, if you are brand new, I, I know I met... Uh, every Sunday is always someone's first Sunday, so if this is your first Sunday, we're thrilled to have you in, and we invite you uh, to maybe connect with us in a couple different ways you could do that. You can either stop by the 10-minute party at the end of the service tonight. I would love the honor of just meeting you and kind of getting to know your story a little bit, how you found us. Uh, if you're online, you can fill out the connection card, and that will get us, that will email me. I'd love to reach out to you and uh, for us to be able to follow up and have a conversation that way. You can download our app, our free app, and just go to your Google Play store or to the app store in uh, iTunes, and you can follow us at Element City Church. Download that. You can get playlists. You can get past sermons and things. Everything is on there, upcoming events, all that kind of stuff. Uh, thank you for those of you who showed up to help with our second Saturday food distribution yesterday. We, uh, we had to forego just because of the weather and all that kind of stuff, so we're back in April for that. Uh, but in case you have friends that are looking for maybe having some food insecurity issues, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. right here in the parking lot, Caring Ministries does free food boxes out for people. So in case you come across someone that might need that and be blessed by that, we want to let you know that that's a resource that goes on every single week. And then every second Saturday, uh, we do that together as a church, kind of helping the people in our neighborhood, the people in our community. So, uh, again, if you are new, we'd love to meet you at the 10-minute party afterwards or fill out the connection card with us. Thanks for tuning in. We're going to worship together tonight. We're going to look in the prodigal story, the parable of Jesus told. We'll worship a little bit at the end. But tonight, as we get started, I'm going to ask that you'd stand up where you're at if you're here in the house. If you're at home, Scouts Honor, you can stand sit, whatever you want to do. Uh, but we'd like to pray for the Church of the Week, which is in LifePoint uh, Church up in Catalina. Pastor uh, Nasser Jahan is a friend, and uh, he is uh, from Iran, actually, and a former Muslim that God saved, and he is now the pastor at that church. It's a great church, and so we just want to pray a blessing over them as we continue to pray for churches throughout our city and for our evening together. So, Father, we ask that uh, you would put your richest and best blessings over Pastor Nasser. We, uh, I love that guy, and uh, just thank you for the story that you are writing in his life and in that church and the community uh, that is around my house. And so would you bless them? Would you continue to give them uh, wisdom and discernment, the resources they need to make a difference in that area of town? Father, we pray for this evening that we would linger in your presence as we worship you, put our attention and our affection in your direction. We pray that you would uh, minister to our hearts, that your spirit would move in this place as we continue to look at the kind of heart that you have, Father. And so would you just be in our midst and would you encourage us each in our next step of following after you and meeting with you, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. My weapon is a melody 
that the highest would welcome. I was lost, but he brought me all his love for all his love for who the sun sets free or his free.
Your breath. 
Father God, you're here. You are within our midst, the creator of the stars, the creator of the universe. You have pursued us and you stand with us right now in this moment. Father, we ask, God, and I ask genuinely from myself, Lord, that you would take the breath that I have and that you would saturate it, saturate it with your praises. That beyond a stage, beyond a Sunday, beyond this facade sometimes that we can all put up, Lord, that there would be breath within us that is saturated with gratefulness, saturated with praise, that it comes in and that we let it out and then we set it at your feet and you take joy in that and that we breathe in and we let it out and your kingdom is built. Bless our time together. We thank you. We are so grateful for this opportunity to be here, to gather, to praise your name, Jesus. And we look forward to the movement that we get to be a part of. We praise you. We worship you. You are so very worthy. Amen. Church, you can have a seat. great to worship together. Um, remember the story Jesus told of Mary and Martha, and Mary had chosen what was best, just sitting at the Lord's feet. And our hope, our prayer is that every time we gather is a moment maybe for emotional, spiritual pit stop for you, uh, to kind of gather, settle yourself, lean into who Jesus is, and, and be sent out um, we have a passion to reach and equip folks and to send out into the world to, to kind of be those active agents for God for good. And, and so whether you're joining us online or here in the room, we are thrilled to, to be with one another as we lean in. We started a series last week called Prodigal, uh, looking at, I think, one of the most famous chapters in the gospel accounts, especially the gospel of Luke, where Jesus tells three stories in a row. It's unique in the sense that we don't see this captured in the other gospel accounts, but in three uh, kind of parables in a row, he's really drilling home at something. And what you can't forget is that, uh, it, so if you have your Bible, you can go to Luke 15, and, but at Luke 15 verses 1 and 2 is really the primer of why Jesus tells these three stories. It's a story you've heard probably of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and you've heard maybe the lost son. And that's what we're going to start looking at tonight and really the next couple weeks here as we look in this, as we move toward Easter and celebrating that together. And that all three stories have a simple premise to them. There's something that's lost, and then there's the power of being found. Uh, we asked last week, how many of you have ever lost something before, right? And, and all of us have that experience. Uh, anyone ever taken an Uber ride before? 
uh, I've done this, so perfect, the eight of us that have, um, we have done something, and Uber is kind of that taxi service that's not a taxi, it's kind of everywhere, uh, but it's like the common folk who are helping the common folk get from point A to point B, right? And, and you pay for it, and it's a service, and, but it kind of cuts out the taxi. Anyway, uh, Uber released kind of what has been left behind in their cars. You can imagine that people take an Uber, they sometimes forget something that's left behind. And, and so obviously the normal things of cell phones and rings and keys and wallets. Anyone ever been with like in a taxi or an Uber and you've left one of those important things? Uh, I remember traveling uh, with students over, uh, overseas internationally, and one of the things we drilled into them uh, for a month leading up to the trip, and then every seems like every five minutes we would announce it, is don't forget your passport. Like when you're traveling, traveling internationally, like that's a big, big no-no, right, to forget that. And yet I remember uh, we had gotten off the plane in Rome, and we're walking into the airport, and uh, about 10 minutes after the flight, uh, a kid comes up and kind of tugs on my shirt and says, hey, uh, Jack, uh, hey, uh, hey, uh. I was like, yeah, ah, I forgot my passport. I was like, I'm, so, I'm sorry, what? I don't know you. Get away from me. Uh, no, no, I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, but I was like, you're, you're kidding. Like, you lost your passport. Like, where did you see your passport last? Well, I think I left it in the seat pocket in, in front of the flight. We were, I was like, oh, I'm, I love your parents. Okay, so, uh, and I sent the rest of the group off to the hotel. We kind of went back to the ticket agent and, and began to find it. We found it eventually. Another time, internationally, we were driving, leaving the Beijing airport, and uh, our taxi cab driver got a phone call. And we have traveled about a mile away from the airport, and uh, all of a sudden he pulls over to the right and he puts it in park and then puts it in reverse, and we drive backwards for a mile on the airport highway thing that's leaving the airport. And I thought, this was weird. What are you doing? Um, and we find out that someone had found a passport of one of our kids. Uh, lost in the airport and had somehow known this taxi driver and what was lost became found and we are very thankful for that. And so like this reality of this tension, uh, maybe you saw the airline report from Southwest Airlines, they were really good at social media and what happened is one little passenger named Hagen left his Buzz Lightyear on the plane. They you know, kind of disembarked in Dallas, it went on into Little Rock and uh, a gate agent saw this and found it and kind of reached out to Hagen, kind of went back. He looked in the bottom boot of Buzz and saw the word Hagen and went back through the uh, kind of the, the log and found uh, that Hagen was on this ride in Dallas. And so he took and did a photo shoot with Buzz because Buzz was on a secret mission. And so they went down to the tarmac and took a picture of him there. They wrote a letter about his mission that he was on. They got a box and decorated it all up uh, like Buzz Lightyear and sent it back to Hagen a few days later. And this is a picture in the bottom uh, right of Hagen receiving Buzz Lightyear back. What was lost became found. And, and there's something powerful about being found. And so as we go through this story the next couple of weeks, I want you to understand and kind of lean into that. Remember last week we talked about that we have a God who seeks. We have a God who seeks. Every person has a story. Each story is known by God. God loves each person behind that story. 
lost and found is kind of the thing God is really good at. And so we see this over and over. And once we're found, we're actually invited into the search party. And so Jesus has been telling these stories about a lost sheep and a lost coin and now a lost son. And what's interesting is not only the power of being found becomes the, the crescendo, this, this story that we're getting ready to look into is, is really kind of the culmination of where Jesus is going. Remember, he has a point to this. And it really ties back to verse 1 and 2 of this whole chapter. It's, it's what makes the story so profound because Jesus is trying to push back against the narrative of the day that in, in one way the religious leaders and probably people in general saw this kind of invisible caste system, if you will, over society. Meaning the, the righteous people, the people who were obedient, the ones who followed after God, well, they were the ones that were accepted. And, and the people who didn't, well, they were the rejects. And so, Jesus, why are you hanging out with the rejects? Why are you hanging out with people who are nothing like or even trying to get God's attention, and yet you seem to be spending a lot of time? Why do you value them? Remember? That's what we were talking about. And that's what's driving this. And so Jesus launches into telling stories, parables, that are trying to push back against that particular narrative to say maybe there's a different way. And so he begins this third story this way, verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. So we've gone from one out of a hundred sheep, one out of ten coins, to now two sons. The stakes are escalating. We've gone from livestock to material things to maybe the most important relationships, human relationships. The stakes are getting higher and Jesus continues to drive back and say, you want to know what God's heart is really like? We've often maybe heard this parable called the parable of the prodigal son, right? Maybe that's what you've heard it called. Uh, the word prodigal, if you look it up in the dictionary, simply means this. It's one who spends lavishly, spending freely, recklessly, wastefully extravagant. And so which son do you think of when you hear that definition of prodigal? Well, you probably think of the younger one who, if you know the story, kind of gets his inheritance and takes off and squanders everything, loses it all. Uh, Timothy Keller wrote a book called Prodigal God. That's where we're getting uh, kind of the premise of this series. In it, he, he speaks about maybe the lavish and extravagant spending of the father. That maybe it's God represented by the father who's really the prodigal in this story. The one who is the spendthrift, who is extravagant in their giving, reckless even in their giving. And so Keller begins to articulate the tension between a couple realities that play out in the human realm as we try to figure out what does it mean to understand and, and to forge relationship with God. Some people would say, well, they come from maybe a moralistic kind of grid or view of life. The moralistic view of life says the problem with the world is not me, it's them. It's the immoral types. They're the issue in the world. Maybe others would identify with the more relativistic view of life. The relativistic view of people would say the problem with the world isn't me. It, it's those. It's the condemning type of people. They're the real issue in the world. And so the moralistic type people say the problem is the immorals. And the others say no, the problem is those who condemn and cast people aside. And Jesus begins to point to these two brothers, these two sons in the story. It begins to say, maybe neither of these paradigms is really the issue. Maybe there's something else deeper here. 
Jesus is kind of looking at these brothers, and the way he's going to paint this story is for you and for me to pause and look carefully. Because the reality is, both sons are lost. It's not one or the other. Both. Both are alienated from the father's heart. Both are missing out on relationship with the father. They have settled into some kind of transactional exchange of sorts, but it's not a true relational connection. Two sons, uh, maybe we'll look at it this way, two pairs of shoes. Uh, One wears a pair of shoes that takes them far away. It's like the younger son kind of dones a pair of track shoes. It says, I'm going to run from the father. Uh, Father, I just want your things. I don't want you. And I'm going to run as far away from you as I possibly can. My my friend, George Ann, uh, these are special shoes. Uh, They have been around the world, and they have run a lot. Therefore, you know they're not my shoes. Um, George Ann is a a world Olympian, uh, a hurdler. Uh, who's preparing for the next Olympics. And so I texted her this week and said, hey, I need a pair of shoes, and I don't own track shoes. Can I borrow some? And and so these shoes are meant to run. And and that's really the heart and the premise behind the younger son in the story that Jesus is getting ready to tell. There there was a man who had two sons. Uh, There's another pair of shoes. We'll kind of look more at that next week. Jesus starts the story this way. I know you've heard it, but... Don't let yourself become too familiar with it. Uh, Let's help unpack it a little bit. Uh, There was a man who had two sons, verse 11, verse 12. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So the father divided his property between them. Don't miss that. Often we think the story is just about the prodigal son, the, the younger one. That he's the one wishing for the property, and so the father just gives him. No, no, the father distributes his estate to both, to them, in that moment. Which, in a Jewish context, we'll kind of understand here in a minute, is, is pretty profound. In a way, for the son to ask that in that particular moment while the father was still living is pretty much what he's saying is, I wish you were dead. That's what he's saying. In an honor culture... Where you honor your elders and those, but that's what he's saying. That I wish you were not here. I wish there was someone else. I wish you were out of the picture. And so it's scandalous in an honor culture to ask that. The father actually divides up his inheritance. The older son in a Jewish context would have gotten uh, what they call a double portion, would have gotten an extra amount, more so than the younger. If there were other sons, it would have been divided out accordingly. But here we have a man who has two sons. And so 60% to the elder son, 40% to the younger son. And what's interesting is that of all the things Jesus could have possibly done, and all the stories he could have possibly come up with in order to show us the essence of sin, he didn't come up with a murderer or with a rapist or a thief. He came up with someone who said, Father, give me my life and just leave me the heck alone. That's the stance that the younger son is taking. And the hearers back then, would have this would have been a gasp kind of moment for them. What? He said, what? Like, 
that doesn't happen in an honor kind of culture. But in essence, they would have understood because the reality is that was his inheritance. It's the timing that's off. It wasn't illegal. It wasn't wrong for him to ask for that estate. That was going to be his estate. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't literally this breaking of something or something illegal. It was totally legal. It's just kind of unbelievable and outrageous to ask for that. It's not a violation of a law, but it is an extreme relational enormity. What he's saying to the fathers, I wish you were dead. I can't wait for you to be dead. I want to live as if you are dead. So give me my part, and I'm going to go away. I want your things, but I don't want you. And yet the heart of the father is to continually be in relationship. Doesn't it ring a little bit back to the history of the the OGs, the original Adam and Eve in a garden who said, I appreciate what you've done, but I want to make my own decision outside of what you have established. I don't want to be hemmed in. I think I know what's best. I want to be in control. And so I make my decision, and I push God's input aside, and pretty soon I find myself hiding And yet we have a God who seeks still. And he goes seeking. The story continues, verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, packed up the U-Haul, put on his track shoes, and took off. He set off for a distant country where he squandered his wealth in wild living. A distant land from a Jewish perspective and understanding as a hearer back then would have understood it was he is going outside of the Jewish culture into a true foreign land. He is turning his back on his heritage and on his father and on his way of life as he knows After he's out into this distant land, verse 14 says, after he had spent everything, And there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. Have you ever been in need? My hunch is you have. My hunch is you understand that that longing of the heart that says, man, I, I need this or I need that. There's a difference between want and a need, but I bet you've had moments or seasons or chapters in life where there's really been a longing and a need, and And he had everything. And everything was great until the money ran out. Everything was great until the situation changed. And all of a sudden, this longing and this need began to drive him, began to pull on him. So he went out and hired himself, it goes on, out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. This would have been another gasp moment for the original hearers. The good Jewish boy is now feeding pigs. Like, that's the bottom of the rung. Like, that's rock bottom. When you look it up in a Jewish dictionary, that's it. Rock bottom. That's where he's at. In fact, the text goes on. The story says that he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Now, I'm thankful for Jesus because I love bacon. And so we've moved beyond that. But the reality is this is, uh, his train had pulled into Desperation Station. That's where he finds himself. I, I don't even know where else I could go 
he's hit rock bottom. Everything that he had that was going for him, everything that when he wore the track shoes and originally got out there has now faded and disappeared and is no longer there. And then maybe in verse 17, if you have a pen, underline this, circle it, because I think it's the turning point of the whole entire story. As Jesus is telling this story to prove a point, verse 17, when he came to his senses, when he came to his senses, it was that beginning step of moving toward repentance, of trying to move towards something. When he came to his senses, he realized, I am laying in a field with pigs, and I'm longing for what they have, and no one gives me anything, and I've hit rock bottom. Wait, 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 wait. He begins to think of home. No, in my father's house, there's servants that live on the grounds and on the estate, and, and they've got food to spare, he says. When he came to his senses, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, so make me like one of your hired servants. And he soon got up and began to wake his way home. I don't know what else to do. Maybe if you're watching online, have you ever come to a place where you've hit rock bottom? Maybe if you're here in the room, like part of the story, the reason it rings to you is because, man, like part of the story is your story. And you've tried so many different things and, and maybe you were a person who donned the track shoes and said, God, to, to heck with you. I don't want anything to do with you and so I'm running as far as I can away from you. I don't want you as a part of my life. And, and maybe it was good for a while. But my hunch is that you've ended up in desperation station. Or, or if you run long enough. It may take five minutes, it may take five months, it may take five years, it may take five decades. But my hunch is you'll find what other people have found and maybe what the person sitting next to you has found. That it's a dead end. And what you thought you wanted and what you dreamt for has faded. And you're living in brokenness. And it's not at all what you dreamt or thought it would be or what, how it would sustain you. And maybe in your life, you would say, in part of your spiritual journey, you had a moment, like verse 17, where you came to your senses and you realized maybe there's a better way. Now, this son doesn't proclaim to, to come back and want to be a son. He knows, I, I wish my dad dead. And so, like, in our culture, that's just the biggest no-no in the world. But I do know that dad has on his estate some, some servants. And their life's a whole lot better than the life I got right now. And so I'm going to go back and I'm going to try to be a servant. And I'm actually going to, in essence, what we don't see in the Jewish cultural context, is that he would have gone back to try to, to, try to work and to pay his father back. Uh, to produce restitution. And, and Father, it may take me my entire life, and I may not even fully be able to pay back everything I've wasted, but I'm going to try. And that, in his mind, is what he's rehearsing as he begins to turn back toward the Father's house and back toward the Father's direction. What's interesting is you can picture in his mind the, the rehearsing of the speech. Anyone ever rehearsed a speech before? Anyone married? 
you've rehearsed a speech before. Anyone been a kid before and gotten in trouble? You've rehearsed a speech. Remember, it's the practice before the moment, right? And you're like, okay, okay, man, I, I royally messed up here. Uh, and so I've got to own that. I, I can't deflect. I could try deflecting. That didn't work really last time. And so I'm just going to have to own it. And I'm just going to listen. I'm going to try to, I'm going to aim low. Like, this is where I'm trying to go. And that is the rehearsed speech that this son is practicing as he begins to crest over the hill toward the estate of the father. Verse 20, so he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and threw his arms around him and began to kiss him. This would have been a greater shock moment in this storytelling because patriarchs of the family, they don't run. Kids run, women may run, young men may run, but the patriarch of the family, the father, they, they never run. And they never run to someone, people run to them. People approach them. People come to them. They, they don't run to them. Can you imagine being the son, cresting over the hill toward the father's estate, and all of a sudden, this shadow begins to get a little bit larger and larger as they're running. Did he run like an old man, hobbling? We don't know. Did he have a great stride to it? I don't know. But the son saw him running. Can you imagine what that son is feeling? What would you be feeling? The one you wish to is dead is now running at you. What's looming in your mind? Oh, crud. Isn't that what's looming in your mind? Man, I'm going to get it now. I told you so. That's just going to be his first words. I knew it. You'd never amount to anything. I, that's got to be top, like, three of what's coming out of his mouth. And so maybe you're bracing yourself. Okay, what's my speech? I got my speech. Okay, uh, okay. Maybe if I start yelling that speech while he's still a little ways off, like, it'll begin to slow the pace down a little bit uh, of my dad, because I'm sure he's coming to lower the boom. I'm sure it's the, the speech of shame that's coming my way, and yet the father reaches him before he can actually get the full speech started and, and embraces him, hugs him, probably knocks him over, because when you run at someone and then you embrace them, you probably knock them over. And, and so they're rolling on the ground, and he's kissing his son. Can you imagine what the son is feeling in that moment? Whoa, whoa, whoa. What, what, uh, what is happening? Who are you? Like, what is going on? And so he stands up, he brushes off the dust, and he says, I'm no longer worthy to be your son. I just want to be a hired servant, and I'm so sorry. I will work to pay you back. And the father says, shh, 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 shh. That's enough talking. I'll talk now. My turn first. Verse 22, the father said to the servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Take those stupid track shoes off 
and get him the sandals of a son because he's home. This son of mine was dead and is now alive again. He was lost and now he is found. Bring the fattened calf. What you don't understand from a Jewish context is it wasn't like, hey, break out the T-bones. This was break out the brisket, the T-bones, everything that you had, the burgers, the hot dogs, like everything. In fact, this feast isn't just for the family. This feast is for the entire village. Why? Well, what the son was hoping when he made it home was that he would get to see the father first because he knew if he saw someone else along the way, they would let him have it. In fact, that's how an honor culture works. You dishonored all of us, and so now you're going to get it. He thought his dad was going to give it to him. He probably didn't want to see anybody else prior to that. And now dad is actually throwing a party. And this hasn't, this has gone beyond what he could even have imagined would play out. I just want to be a servant. I just want to try to pay you back. No, no, no. Bring the robe. Bring the ring. Take those shoes off. Here's the sandals of a son. You're home. You were lost and now you're found. Bring the fattened calf. Let's have a party. And the music begins to play and the party begins to unfold. His actions and attitude as a son. At the beginning, I'm grabbing my track shoes. I want to have control over my life without you, Father. I don't want you to have any say or any sway in it. I'm going to a foreign land. Here's what Henry Nouwen said in his book, writing about the prodigal. He said this, our addictions make us cling to what the world proclaims as the keys to self-fulfillment, accumulation of wealth and power, attainment of status and admiration, lavish consumption of food and drink and sexual gratification without distinguishing between lust and love. The addicted life can aptly be designated a life lived in a distant country. Beneath it all is the great rebellion, the unspoken curse. I wish you were dead. I don't want you to have a say or sway in my life. I want to be the one in control. And there are many who have laced up their own track shoes and begin to run off to try to gain that control and to run, my hunch is, to their own dead ends of life. It might be some of you watching online, some of you in this room, and you might have found yourself in the cul-de-sac of chaos. And all of life is now no longer what you desired and what you want. It's broken and broken down, and you're fractured. And in that moment, I hope you have a moment like this younger son. When you come to your senses, and you realize maybe there's a better way and maybe coming to your senses isn't even the, what you can imagine it to be. It's just this whole idea of, I just want to be back in proximity. I, I just want to be kind of a, a servant on the estate and on the grounds because that's what I'm only really deserving. And yet the father reinstates him to sonship, not a hired hand. His track shoes are traded in for the sandals fit for a son. It's a crazy ending to an amazing story. It goes beyond anything in his imagination. It goes beyond anything the listeners of that day. It would have been another shock and awe kind of moment in the story. 
surely this father was running to lower the boom, not to embrace with grace. But Jesus says, no, here's what the father's really like. It's not the fist of fury. It's the embrace of grace. The prodigal son returned home filthy, not fixed, but he was welcomed in as a son, not a servant. It's not anything that he deserved, but it's everything the father wanted to give. The younger son came to his senses. For some of you, you've come to your senses, and that's why you began to turn back in God's direction. For others of you, you may still be in that position of where the son has found himself where his track shoes have taken him. But when you come to your senses, it's the beginning of the posture of the heart, the posture of repentance. And maybe his repentance wasn't about full reconciliation at first. It was just about being in proximity. But the Father's heart is always about restoration, reconciliation, and about relationship. Remember, it's clear in the beginning of the story, he just wanted the things of the Father, not the Father. But the Father has always wanted the relationship with the Son. That's his heart. So he begins to take steps of repentance, and the father meets him and surprises him with a mercy and a grace that goes way beyond anything he could ever expect or even desire. And it blows him away. Repentance is such a powerful activity at the heart of Christianity. God is looking for it to have a small beginning, an inkling of it to begin to emerge as we turn in his direction. Repentance is meant to be this ongoing rhythm of a relationship with God. It begins with saying, I need you, Jesus. That's how it launches a relationship with God. It's, it's coming to that place where you, you repent and you understand that you need him. That your track shoes can only take you so far and, and actually takes you to places where you no longer actually want to be. And you long for something different, something better. And so maybe you just want to be in proximity. I'm just going to work really hard. But see, repentance is this idea of, of not only launching a relationship with God, but nurturing one. The, the rhythm of repentance is a must in our relationships. Uh, we have a repentance need for God for forgiveness to initially start a relationship. But it's meant to be this ongoing rhythm of our life because it grows and deepens each of our relationships. Uh, people who say, I don't need to repent of anything in their relationships don't have a real relationship. They have a transactional exchange of some sorts, but it's not relationship. Repentance is fuel for healthy and vibrant relationships. I, I think it's why David writes at the end of Psalm 139, a simple, a simple prayer, I think, for us to hold on to as followers of Jesus. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Lead me in the way. Let me keep a repentant rhythm of my heart before you. Repentance coming to your senses. Whether you've been walking with Jesus for 10 minutes or 50 years. Is repentance a rhythm of your life? Because I think it actually helps build our relationship with the Father. Uh, maybe a second point that comes out of this story is we not only have a God who seeks us, but we have a God who sees us. The heart of the Father is one who is always has an eye toward the horizon, awaiting for the one to come to their senses and begin to turn in his direction. 
And when the silhouette crests the hill toward home, the father begins to run toward them, arms open wide, compassion filled in his heart, reconciliation drips from his lips. What a scene that this portrays about the heart of the father. The son was seen and is always in the heart of the father. You have a God who seeks you. You have a God who sees you. And that is a profound, beautiful gift. It reminds me earlier of Psalm 139, the beginning part of that whole chapter. King David writes, You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. You know me. If I go up, uh, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise in the dawn, you're already there. God sees you, this son and you. You are never out of the sight of your amazing heavenly father. And he may let you wander at times if you choose. But you are never forgotten, abandoned, or dismissed. He sees you. He awaits he runs when you begin in his direction. Yeah, there's nowhere you can go. There's no place your track shoes could take you where you're too far gone out of the sight or out of the heart of the Father. That's what Jesus is trying to say. You've got this narrative being displayed and it's driving your life. Let me show you a better narrative. Let me show you the true father. What he's really like. The beauty of God is described in the scripture is God longs for what is lost to experience being found. You can always run to God when you're lost. Lost and found is kind of the thing God is really good at. I'll close with this. Timothy Keller writes in this book, Prodigal God, the prerequisite for receiving the grace of God is to know that you need it. And so maybe you're here tuning in, maybe sitting here. Have you ever come to the place where you've recognized that you need it? Sure, maybe you've donned your track shoes, taken off, said, God, I'm going to leave you in the dust. I don't want you to be a part of my life. My hunch is if you could talk to some of the folks in this room, some of the folks who are watching, they would say, yeah, I did that. And you know where it got me? To a place I didn't any longer want to be at. I just wanted to go back. And I just wanted to maybe be around God. But when I got back and I began to turn in his direction, he actually ran toward me. And I thought he was running to lower the boom, and so I was kind of preparing for it. And he actually embraced me with grace, and it blew every expectation out of the water. And, and I'm a son. I'm a daughter. I've got sandals now. I don't need track shoes anymore. So, Father, as we continue in worship, what we're asking is that in these next couple of songs that you would reignite our heart. For some of us, uh, man, we, we know this story. We identify with this younger son because, gosh, that's our story. 
So would you rekindle our hearts, re-engage our soul with the heart of the Father who met us not with a fist of fury, but with an embrace of grace and blew away every expectation or dream we ever had of what that reuniting, what that connecting would be like. And we've been reinstated as a son, as a daughter, as one who belongs to the one who loves the best. We all still have seasons or struggles with wanting to wander. But may our struggle, our season, be a mere moment that our heart would begin to turn quickly back in the direction of the Father's affection. May our wandering be minimal and be short-lived. God, for those who are maybe still stuck out in this story, and they identify with the rock-bottom desperation station moment of this younger son, I pray that they would begin to hear, begin to notice that you are a father who seeks and you are a father who sees. And you are a father who runs to embrace. God, as we continue to look into the story in these next couple of weeks, would you help us to, to mine everything out of it? Or would you help us to see the heart of the father and that it would change everything?
Father, here we are. May we be a church that pursues you as you pursue us and that the outcome would be beautiful. Amen. Amen. Amen, church, right? Hey, so for those of you online, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, I just want to remind everybody, if you're new here with us, we're so glad uh, that you were able to be here in person uh, tonight. Jack will be at the 10-minute party uh, back here in the corner. We'd love to, to chat with you, get to know you, uh, get to know a little bit of your story. Uh, other than that, uh, may we all gravitate towards the Father this weekend, or this weekend, this week too. It sounds good. Godspeed to you all. Have a great week.